All right, we are rolling now, counting us down. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hello there, Misketeers. Welcome back to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. I am Lex Michael. And if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be movies, music, television, spoken word, books, experiences, things that have built us up as people, and we hope that in sharing it, it builds you up. We are the retrospective that is introspective. And you know, Tari J, under normal circumstances, this would be the week where I finally extract my long brewing revenge scheme for the time you put me in jail all those years ago. But but in fact, uh, we're doing something a little different that sort of precludes this possibility. Uh, we're not actually recording physically in the same location. Right. Which I could assume is also your plan in that you're you're lowering my guard that you're not here but all of a sudden you will show up behind me uh, with your knife ready or an axe or an incriminating photograph. I'm really just banking on, on you not hearing me mumbling from your bathroom where I'm set up with my my own personal podcasting interface. Like I brought all my shit over, set it up in your bathroom, hoping like I was like, uh, he 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 goes at like 10 a.m. And then I've got like a, a good like three hours where I will I will be able to set up and camp out here undetected. And I'm really banking on. Well, now I suppose I'm banking on you forgetting everything I just told you right. so that I can extract It'll- my vengeance plot. Your plan also assumes that I don't go poop every hour on the hour. So that's a nice assumption, I guess. Because uh, I do. I'm rolling the dice that you are you are very regular. Right. Um, and, you know, the fact that you paid so much attention to my schedule really means something to me. Um, and it's really helped bring me to where I am today. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> If you haven't, if you are, aren't aware, we are talking about the 1991 Denzel Washington vehicle, Ricochet, also starring John Lithgow, Ice-T, Kevin Pollock, baby. This is uh, produced by Joel Silver. The screenplay is by Steven D'Souza. I guess the original story was by Fred Decker, and it was originally written to be a Dirty Harry story. And then um, Clint yeah. Eastwood was like, hell nah. So yeah, that was... Uh, I also... I also do think it's uh, sorry. It's fun that I, uh, Fred Decker is the guy who directed RoboCop three. Oh, really? uh, so Fred Decker, uh, Fred Decker exists sort of within my within my wheelhouse. Obviously, he's got other credits to his name. He directed um, Night of the Creeps, um, and he worked on the Monster Squad also. Uh, but yeah, Ro- RoboCop three is my big sort of tether to Fred Decker. Okay, um, Night of the Creeps is one that I was going to bring on to this show because um, it was I've not another seen thing. it so. Okay, so we can save that. We could definitely do that because I have actually not ever seen uh, Night of the Creeps. But also another uh, fun uh, piece of pedigree for Ricochet, music music by Alan Silvestri, who has done the music for a ton of movies, including, of course, uh, the famous scores from Back to the Future and, of course, uh, uh, three out of the four Avengers movies. Like the Avengers theme is his. Yeah. I mean, and you can hear the uh, Back to the Future esque nature of the ricochet soundtrack like especially in all of the the sweeping shots like when one of the characters gets kidnapped and they like pan the camera across a car and you hear that sweet sweet orchestral uh alan silvestri uh score you're like yeah that him that's that's (laughs) what it is um um but so i want you to because this was your recommendation for me, I want to hear your pitch because I watched this movie. I got a big kick out of it, and I know exactly how I would pitch it. But first, I I very much want to hear your pitch. What what is this movie to you, and and why did you bring it to me? What is this thing? So, um, I feel like because we are in a, a, a March madness time, uh, both because of the <laughs> baskets balls and also uh, because. At this point in time, there is uh, people are self-quarantining, quarantining, which 
could drive one mad. I felt like this would be a good time to start the march into madness. <laughs> and the first movie I thought Ooh, I like of, it. we got to go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, no, we need to like uh, uh, soundbite that laughter and just pipe it in. Right? Not I, Well, after this month, we just need that on file so we can pipe it in occasionally. Okay, yeah, I'll make it its own little clip. You can have it as your uh, background. <laughs> yep, that's how audio works. Um, you can have it yeah, as like your every time it's, text tone. The sound will be my... this. Yeah, the sound will be my computer wallpaper so that every time I open my laptop, it just starts making the laughter sound. Yeah. That'd be dope. You can either even get one of those um, like waveform tattoos where they like tattoo a waveform and then there's a reader and then it like makes the sound of that uh, the waveform. So we can do that, too, if you'd like. But uh, this is very high, this is, I think too high tech for my little my little peon brain. Oh, your brain's bigger than a pea. Don't worry about it. But so, as you mentioned, right, we are we are this month. We're sort of stuck in. Uh, we're we're recording separately because we made. Uh, I think we made the exec, uh, executive call uh, to do the responsible thing and and sort of uh, what is it? Social distancing is the is the expression. Um, uh, it's a very uncertain time. I feel like we all need to be as responsible as possible, right? So we we sort of made that call. The the plus to this the practical upshot of recording separately is that i don't have to put on pants and and i tell you what like honestly uh i I really enjoy podcasting i love doing this show but a big drawback is that every uh every week when we go to record i have to put on pants and leave my apartment and you know the i'm trying to be positive in this very uncertain time uh i actually think this is a huge this is a huge win and I encourage other people to social distance where possible. If for no other reason, then you are absolved of the responsibility to wear pants. And is that not the dream? That's true. Speaking of not wearing pants, um, I think I was going to incorporate that into my pitch where... Um, not wearing pants? Yes. <laughs> so. Okay. If you love... Denzel Washington's body you get to see him hella naked uh in the first 10 minutes he disrobes down to his skibbies and he's like yo look I ain't got nothing and then uh five minutes later he's like yo you want to see my dick well here it is uh so that's uh and it's this is like prime Denzel Washington he he worked out Three hours a day, six days a week for four months to get that rocking body. So baby, 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 drink it in. Is that true? Yes, that's true. But also, if you want to see a really bonkers uh, cat and mouse game, it would be... This is the movie for you. Um, We have paper gladiators. We have... um, uh gonorrhea. (laughs) We have... uh, Let's see. What else is good? Um... (laughs) We have a, a, a crazy... I mean, I'm already sold. I know. That's, those are really the only two things I look for in movies. Um, yes, they're, they're a lot. There's a lot to love in this movie. And I also... Uh, another reason why I brought it was that the, the main plot is that John Lithgow's character is trying to make it seem like uh, like Denzel Washington is going mad. He's, he's essentially gaslighting him into a career suicide. And I felt like that was perfectly apt for this march into madness. (laughs) Is it? Oh, there it is. Is it because we've been consistently gaslit as a country? Is that why? Um, No, everything's fine. It's a hoax. Don't worry about it. I wasn't going to take it there. Um, but so, okay, yes, and I'm, I've, I had never seen this, um, and I'm, I'm very glad you brought it to my attention because I think this movie is a total blast. I think it is. I, I watched it. You know, I was watching it for the first half hour, and I went, oh, this is totally fun. Like, what a cool like early '90s. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of when Denzel Washington's career as a leading man was really just starting to take off. Like his next movie after this was Malcolm X. Um, and so it was, you know, that him and Lithgow together was, was appealing to me. And the longer I watched the movie, the more and more and more just absolutely batshit crazy 
it became. And so I was very, uh, very glad uh, to have seen it. But but here's so here's what I kept thinking. Okay. Especially the further into this movie I got. And here's my sort of non spoiler pitch. And we'll get we'll get into the nitty gritty uh, when we drop the spoiler wall. But I would sort of pitch this as um, came out in 1991. So it predates both of these uh, two movies that I'm going to compare it to, but it feels very much like The Dark Knight meets The Invisible Man, the new Invisible Man that just came out that I think like last week I talked about on Missing Out Monday. It feels very much like the early 90s sort of dry run for concepts that would would come up later in both of these movies. So it's it's very much like The Dark Knight insofar as you have this very over-the-top, uh, borderline megalomaniacal psychotic supervillain whose goal is to sort of degrade and tear down and ruin the hotshot district attorney largely just for the sake of it like yes it's it's revenge for the Lithgow character but but it's largely just like the way he does it he does it that way just sort of for the sake of doing it that way. And then it's like the invisible man in as much as like you say, like, so very early in the movie, the Lithgow character fakes his own death and he's now sort of gaslighting our protagonist. And because the people around our protagonist believe the villain to be dead, he's able to sort of make the, our protagonist seem like the totally insane one is able to turn his world against him ultimately. Um, and so I, yeah, I just thought it was wild going like, oh, it's, it's literally these two movies that I think are really good, except, uh, Ricochet did it all first. Right. Uh, and I think that like, that's probably what I, uh, what drew me to it to begin with was that, um, that I would call it Joker like, um, relationship that they have where it's, it's, it feels like, especially getting towards the end where it almost has that energy of like, no one can take you down except for me. Um, that kind of thing <laughs> right. is what I really dig. Um, and so I don't yeah. feel like we can really move much further without going into spoiler territory. So I'm about to drop down the spoiler wall. Okay. I do want to, I want to just kind of tag up on what you just said though. It's true. Like there is a sort of, uh, almost like a Joker Batman relationship insofar as the way Lithgow plays it. And, and by the way, I've said, I don't know if I've talked about it on this show, but, um, uh, Sin- Sinister Lithgow is my favorite Lithgow. Um, and the way he plays this character, Blake, he plays it so almost like a jilted ex. And that is so very like the Batman Joker relationship in so many incarnations. And so I think like, yeah, he's a very, a very Joker-esque character. Um, And yeah, like it feels almost like a proto comic book movie, I think, in a lot of ways, while also feeling very much like um, a sort of cop drama of its time, like the very early 90s. Um, But yes, let's drop down the spoiler wall. But yes, uh, without spoilers, my review is is. This thing is bonkers, and I'm very glad I watched it. Hell yeah. Uh, So if you have not seen Ricochet, you can do so. It's on HBO. It's on Hulu if you have the HBO package. If you have Cinemax, it's also on there. Um, It's also for rent on Amazon. I'm sure that there are uh, pretty cheap DVDs you can find. So uh, if you go on IMDb, it'll tell you every place that it's available. Uh, So you can do that. Uh, and if you are feeling so kind, uh, please go on to Apple podcasts and leave us a rating or review just so, uh, we can get to the top of the charts, help other people find this show, help us to keep growing. Cause as you know, the most potent form of advertisement is word of mouth. So, uh, I've said all the spiel I can spiel and we will be back right after this break. Right, we are back. So, um, I wanted to do this thing. I don't know if I have a segment name for it, Lex Michael, and I'm kind of uh, springing it on you. Uh, but uh, okay, when, last week when we were talking about Phantom of the Paradise, which is also another instance of a person going mad, um, <laughs> I did a short yeah. recap. Um, and I felt like that brought me a lot of joy. So I thought it would be fun to have the new person give their synopsis of the uh, the 
film or thing that they had just taken in. So if you were to synopsize or summarize this film uh, in something okay. I will call um, Busta Recap. There he goes. Um, that's the name of it. Uh, okay. What, how would you do so? Oh, geez. Okay. Let's see. Let's let's work off of my off of my uh, uh, notoriously bulletproof ironclad memory. Um, so uh, we have our uh, our cop, right? Our cop protagonist. Uh, it's Denzel Washington. His his name is Nick Styles. Um, basically bringing a, a homicidal, uh, notorious criminal named Blake played by John Lithgow to justice. Um, and he does so as you pointed out before we dropped the sto- the spoiler wall does so ultimately by stripping almost entirely nude and magically pulling uh, a butt gun, um, which, which is very exciting, uh, brings, brings our villain to justice. So now many years later, our hotshot cop has in fact, become the district attorney um, is making some big sort of political moves. Right. And he's, he's sort of, you know, he's uh when you become the district attorney, you're also, you're not just sort of enforcing the law, but you're also a, a bit of a politician. And so he has to sort of try and keep one foot in both worlds. Now, while all of this is going on and while, you know, for example, our, our character is raising, uh, raising funds for things that uh, district attorneys do that they need all that money for uh, our villain. Blake, who has been biding his time in prison uh, during a parole hearing, uh, busts out of jail in collaboration with, with like a white supremacist faction. And by the way, the the sort of jailbreak sequence during this parole hearing is so deeply vicious and violent and aggressive and out of nowhere that that I am like we you know Tari uh-huh. and you know if you're listening to the show and you've listened to the show before I get a big kick out of out of nowhere truly aggressive belligerent bonkers what the fuck isms and I was sitting there going holy shit like it just it just is so aggressive so out of nowhere so our our villain busts out of prison uh, basically offs everybody who assisted him in that escape with the exception of his his like his little boy sidekick. And I love that our Joker, like if we're going to make the comparison, uh, uh, John Lithgow is sort of our Joker. But I love that Joker in this movie sort of has his own Robin, who is the one guy that for whatever reason he won't kill. <laughs> um, and so they they proceed to Blake proceeds to orchestrate this massive uh, psychological warfare campaign in the name of revenge against Nick Stiles, uh, the former cop, now D.A., who put him away. And the machinations therein are absolutely fucking wild. And they they extend to but are certainly not limited to. Uh, arm wrestling Nick Styles into essentially uh, a stalemate wherein they can forcibly inject him with heroin uh, and then uh, put, um, a, I guess, like a prostitute sort of on top of him to give him gonorrhea so that like these all of these elements like, you know, they put it on film, they shoot it or, you know, they put it on video and they they get that out into the world to make sure that before before we kill you. We want to make sure that that the knife has just been been stuck in and twisted as hard as possible, as long as possible. It's not just about killing you, right? And this is very Joker-esque. It's sort of about sending a message, not just not just to you, but sort of to the rest of the world that, okay, you know what? Nick Stiles, hotshot uh, district attorney, former hero cop. No, he's, not only is he not any better than the rest of us, but in fact... He's far worse. I'm going to take your world from you. I'm going to take your career from you. I'm going to take your family away from you. And then uh, when when Gotham is ashes, then you have my permission to die and stuff like that. Um, and it's it's that story. It's that cat and mouse game of can Nick Styles sort of reclaim his innocence? Can he reclaim his, his world? Can he reclaim his life uh, before Blake completely tears it all down uh all right how'd i do that was great i say that that recap was (laughs) thoroughly busted (laughs) it's insane though man like around the time where where we got to the arm wrestling uh 
I I I I feel like I started to key into what this movie actually was. <laughs> um, but but I wasn't. You know what I mean? Because like for the first. You know, the whole first act of this movie, it's entertaining. Yeah. But it's it's an entertaining early 90s sort of cop drama. And a big part of why it's entertaining is you see sort of Denzel at that point in his career. You see Lithgow. You see, like, when Kevin Pollack shows up and stuff, uh, especially uh, these sort of, like, um, uh, semi-dramatic cop movies where, like, he plays the, the cop partner who's got the sardonic wit and stuff like that. Like, I'm actually a fan of, to me, Kevin Pollack as the cop partner uh, who who displays sardonic wit all over the place. That's almost a trope at this point for me as an audience member, so I'm, I'm always happy to see that. Uh-huh. Um, but the, the, first, the first act is sort of doing one thing. And then you get to where they, where Blake is able to capture Styles. And then we do the arm wrestling. And like I said, like I started to go, oh, okay, like maybe this movie is not, not exactly the movie that the first act presented itself as and in a very positive way. And so they do their, their arm wrestling, right? And of course, Nick Stiles sort of uh, first wins handily. But then Blake sort of flips the tables on him by putting his hand down on the table and then has his little buddy, his little Joker Robin, uh, come in. Or more like, I guess, I guess if we're going to do like, if it's 1989 Batman, he's the Jack Nicholson Joker. And I guess his, his buddy is like Bob the Goon. Um, <laughs> has him run over and inject Denzel Washington with heroin. And at that point, I went, oh, okay, this is, this is just utterly bonkers cinema. And this is not just your sort of run-of-the-mill standard uh, cop and criminal caper. This is the movie where the criminal injects the hero with heroin and, and make sure he gets the clap. Right. Um, more movies like this, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, so two things in response to what you just said. One. Um, yeah, I just said a lot. <laughs> uh, I, I like that the first 30 minutes just spend time just almost world building slash character developing you. If you hadn't seen the commercial, you weren't familiar with where it was going. You would just be like, Oh man, like it's just a bunch of fun character stuff. Um, you, right. and, and it's, as you were saying, like entertaining enough and like they established the politics of the world and what's happening in uh, the, both the prison system and also the uh, politics of the, judicial system uh but i feel like for me the part that uh i knew that it was gonna be bonkers uh just at least on this review because like when i was growing up the the main thing i remember is yes the what, what i call the the torture scene um where we get the heroin and the rape and the um and the like torture and all that stuff um but the first part for me where I was like, what the fuck is this movie is when <laughs> we get the, um, I guess what I would call the phone book gladiator scene, um, which I guess if you, <laughs> yeah, if you don't know, um, the, I think it was the director also directed um, uh, Highlander. And so that scene was almost a visual recreation of the final battle in Highlander. Um, That's amazing. Yes, this movie is insane. Like it, it, it kind of primes you for it when uh, he starts. He being Denzel starts taking off his clothes in the middle of a hostage negotiation, yeah. and you're like, "That's I mean, weird." Like, really? But, like I wasn't ready for that at all. Yeah. Like you sort of get what he's going for, but at the same time, it's like, man, that you're just you're going for it so hard, and you're taking such a it's such a gamble, yeah, right. Especially when he goes like, "Look, here's my muscular, glistening chest with no chest protector on it." I mean, you're really banking on the fact that you can bluff this dude hard enough that he is going to be frozen in his tracks by your chiseled, beautiful, masculine form that you will have the time you need to reach to your secret uh, butt compartment and pull your pistol. It's, it's, I mean, the whole, it's fundamentally insane. Right. And the fact that it works is proof positive that like, not only, not, not only is there a certain level of awareness that, that this is insane, but that uh, the movie 
is now sort of priming you for it to double down on how insane it is. And uh, it's, it's so, because like, if it didn't deliver on that promise, I would have walked away from this movie disappointed. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's, it seems like, okay, you're no, but like, I, but like seriously, like, Oh, you're setting up a reality within this story that is absolutely batshit crazy. Right. And if it's only the first act of this movie where you follow through on that, then you, you didn't, you sort of drop the ball. You know what I mean? Like you don't deliver on the promise of your first act, but I mean, Holy shit, does this movie deliver on the promise of the first act and then some? I mean, shit, we didn't even talk about uh, yet the fact that part of part of Blake's plan is not only to uh, discredit Styles. Um, it, it's not just to uh, I mean, the way you just the way the way you put it is entirely accurate. Actually, there is um, I mean, there is a rape scene in this movie, but it's not, you know, when we talk about rape scenes in movies, it, it you know, there's a very specific uh, sort of picture that gets painted mentally of what that looks like. And the scene in this movie where they drug him up and they have sort of a, a prostitute have sex with him to give him venereal disease. Yeah, that's a thing that happens in this movie. Um, it's it's I mean, that's what we're looking at. We're essentially looking at a, a, a rape scene. It's just that we don't necessarily talk about rape scenes um, in we, we talk about them in very specific terms right um and i thought it was very interesting that that's explicitly what is in this movie and yet i just you know for reasons that i don't think we necessarily need to get into here it it doesn't necessarily read that way uh or certainly i don't think would have read that way to an audience in 1991 when the movie came out but not only is that a fixture of blake's plan part of his plan is also to plant child pornography on a Nick Stiles person. Like, I think they put it in his briefcase or something. So not only are we giving you VD, not only are we injecting you with heroin, but we're also setting you up to appear as though you are a, a child pornographer of sorts. Like, this movie is fucking bonkers. Right. Um, yeah, and I want to I wanna circle back to this idea, because... I you were talking about how we generally view um, like a rape scene in in media, and I feel like this is kind of something that is I, I don't know it's something important to kind of jump dive into a little bit. In that I I do think that generally, and because we live in a, a patriarchal uh, like rape culture, and that like a lot of the times the victims of rape are women, and I think that also it is heavily overlooked how many men are also sexually assaulted um and so i think uh it it's interesting to see that like one it was never in this movie uh called rape and and people were actually mad at him for having had um <laughs> having been assaulted like uh he's like i would never have done it uh, and she's and his wife even his wife is like how dare you? Your penis did was so right. excited to have sexual relations. Oh, and it's that like, was so right. Oh, that exchange was so wild to me, especially because in the first act you see like, you know, uh, what is it? I think the bulk of the story or the, the, the after act one, it's kind of set like eight years later or something like that. Yeah. But in the first act, you see him meet the woman who becomes his wife um, and they have two daughters together and you sort of see that relationship develop. And that's why when we get to the exchange that you're talking about where she's like, you know, he's like, you know, I wouldn't, you know, this isn't me. You know, I wouldn't do this. You know that if, it, you know, if I had any control of myself, that there, there is no way I would betray you in this fashion. And she's like, yeah, well, you know what? If you got the clap that clearly there were a few inches of you that weren't resist. I was like, holy shit. Right. I mean, and uh, there, there is a, an SVU episode. Um, I'm turning into Yell Teagle. Shout out to Yell Teagle. Uh, love of SVU. Whoa, whoa. Uh, but uh, there, there's also an SVU episode. It's not about um, uh, male sexual assault, but it is about this girl who um, her boyfriend had set her up to, uh, to be gang raped by this gang he was trying to be initiated into. Um, and he was oh. mad at her uh, because she, uh, like, your body will react. And so she 
ended up having an orgasm in, in the midst of being gang raped. And so he was like, you never did that for me. And it's like, bro, bodies do stuff like you can't control it. That's not how it works. Um, and so like, should we put a content warning at the top of this episode? Oh yeah. It's going to be in the, it's going to be in the, in the description. Well, the thing is like, right? Like you can, I guess I should have thought about this ahead of time, but it's really difficult to discuss the actual content of this movie without dipping into some pretty heavy shit. Right. But that is just a testament to how absolutely bonkers this movie is and how committed to being that bonkers this movie is. Yeah. Um, and so like, I, I think my, my biggest thing, like I really liked the execution of the plan because they establish that, um, uh, what is his full name? Earl Talbot Blake, um, which you have to say all three <laughs> names. Um, but yes. they established that he's a budding hitman, And then you really get to see all of those hitman skills, like him infiltrating the house and, and also, uh, him intercepting the, uh, I believe the guy's name was Ferris who was, uh, do like depositing the money and all that stuff. Like you really get to see him doing yeah. all this sweet, sweet espionage. Um, I also love this moment when he is posing as a, a homeless guy and uh, Ferris essentially is like, fuck off, get a job. And he's like, we're human. I'm not scum. Um, and I was like, it's true. He, he, he's a human being. Treat him like a human being. Um, but my one thing is that I just wished that people had given Denzel's character the benefit of the doubt. Um, and it, it like, I, I right. think from my current perspective, I can say like, yes, there's a, a whole one, I guess it would, the movie wouldn't have worked if uh, they believed him off offhand, but also like them not yeah, believing just it. There's no movie at that point. Right. Um, but also them not believing him has this like extra layer of, um, I guess, intersectionality in that he is, he's, uh, yes, he's a, a black man who's rising in the ranks, but he's also a black man from the hood. And so people are just waiting for him to screw up. And people are waiting for him to confirm the worst parts of what they think that he is capable of. And that's actually, yeah, we haven't talked about the Ice-T character yet, um, who's his, like, uh, the character's name is Odessa, I believe, who's, like, his childhood friend. Yeah. Who, um, yeah, you constantly, like, that character, I think, in large part sort of exists as a consistent reminder that, yeah, like, Denzel's character, no matter how far he's risen, sort of comes from a world where, like you say, um, you know, I think a, a lot of people who don't really understand the world that he comes from are maybe more likely to be uh, uh, suspicious of what his actual intentions, motivations, what his true actions are versus what he says they are. Um, and I think, like, one, it's very smart to, to sort of write a, a character into this movie where you can sort of dramatize that through a relationship as opposed to it just being something that the characters talk about um also uh ice t seems to be having a very good time in this movie and i was having a very good time uh watching him as well like honestly like i feel like you could technically take that character out of this movie and still tell the same story i'm i'm glad that i'm really glad that he's he's there because he sort of gives a life to this other aspect of of the Nick Styles character's uh, uh, personality of his background, um, it informs who he is moment to moment, and then you can actually see in in his relationship with that character, with his with his childhood friend, you can sort of see how these two elements of his identity are consistently at odds with each other, mm -hmm. and how you know by extension. When, when you have these elements of your identity that are constantly at odds with each other, not just in your mind, but in the minds of the people that are, are observing you, um, that are observing you personally and professionally, yeah, you are now, you are now then even more susceptible to uh, having doubt cast upon you if somebody like Blake, somebody like the Joker, wants to sort of tear your entire world down. And I thought that was a really... Um, savvy decision on the part of the screenwriters to to have a character in there where you could actually dramatize that aspect through a relationship and like i said i think ice t is very clearly having a ball doing this movie oh yeah um and so he's really entertaining to watch yeah um i also really like the scene 
where Ice-T and Denzel Washington are basically trying to broker this deal where Denzel Washington, his character styles is essentially trying to make it so that this child center that he's trying to build uh, isn't uh, in the territory of people who are selling drugs. And he is really vying and fighting for the future of the kids who he's trying to make sure that they grow up better than he did or Ice-T did. And, and trying to give them a chance. And I really liked that exchange. It reminded me of, I want to say it's season three of The Wire, where um, they were essentially like, well, we can't stop you guys from selling drugs, but we can make make it so you can find you to this one area so that everyone else isn't affected. Yes. Um, yes, that's that's season three where they do um, Hamsterdam. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that's interesting. That's an interesting point of comparison. I assume that that idea came from this movie. I assume they were like, yo. It's entirely possible. I'm saying. Um, this is a uh, like an well, HBO Pictures film, which, er, and I think that HBO yes. was, uh, yeah, they originally produced The Wire as well, right? Yes. See? It's all connected. Uh, a good, I want to say a good, what, 10 10 years after this, but yeah, I mean, it's all in house. So it's, it's definitely not, in fact, it's, it's not even necessarily unlikely. Like, like David Simon talks about how a great deal of what was in the wire, uh, was based pretty directly on, on real shit that was going on in, in that world in Baltimore. But at the same time, uh, yeah, it's all, it's all in house. And there, I, I know that they never, uh, you know, in season three of The Wire, they basically construct, a, a, they call it a free zone. It comes to be known as Hamsterdam, where you could basically, they want to funnel all the sort of drug and criminal activity into one uh, neighborhood um, so that they can clean up the rest of the streets. And maybe eventually, if they kind of funnel everything in one direction, they can ultimately sort of turn on the people they made this deal with and sort of uh, arrest everybody in one fell swoop. Now, uh, to the best of my knowledge, nothing nothing like that uh, ever necessarily happened in real life but i would imagine yes these ideas have to sort of come from somewhere and even though uh, i don't know that they would necessarily have lifted that from this movie i i think it is very interesting to note the similarity of the concepts and how they are both uh hbo productions right i think that's an interesting thing yeah um speaking of connections so apparently this movie was supposed to be in the same universe as uh Die Hard. So we have the reporter character yes. who is in both. The, of them. What is it? The Mary Ellen Trainer character. Uh, yeah. So that character is in both uh, this and Die Hard. And then there were, I, I think, there were a couple other characters that um, appear in in this, but eventually become different characters as the Die Hard uh, like series goes on. So it eventually falls out of line with that universe. I'd like to think that um, it basically, the the moment it split was when the escape happens and in the Die Hard universe, it continues on in their timeline based on the uh, clans member killing uh, Earl Talbot Blake and that, but in the Ricochet universe, Earl Talbot Blake comes out on top. So it's like a whole big switcheroo. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying. Uh, see, and I feel like what we now now that I right like now that there is there, there's actually like, and that's the thing. It's not like this isn't one of those things where we sort of spin a yarn and like, wouldn't it be fun if uh, these two were connected? It's literally meant to be the same character right like the character name is the same yeah. um gail wallens i believe is the name of the character so in a world where this movie is actually very literally directly connected to die hard i feel like we really missed out on a movie where um say maybe nick styles and john mcclain team up but why do they have to team up it's because they're facing a threat that neither of them could could overcome alone and it's a movie where 
where Blake and Hans Gruber team up <laughs> to execute not just not just a, a billion dollar terror heist, but also a sort of a psychological warfare warfare campaign to take down both of these characters. Now, obviously, you can't make that movie anymore because we we very sadly lost Alan Rickman a few years ago. But I feel like that's the grandest missed opportunity here. Like that would be like, we wouldn't need the Avengers in a world where that movie existed. Right. You know what I mean? Like everybody would be like, Oh yeah. Like Marvel, what, whatever. Give me the, give me the, uh, the diehard ricochet crossover that we've always demanded and always deserved and never got um, that. See, like that's, that's exciting. <laughs> that's why, that's why I get up in the morning is, is so that I can eventually, uh, I can get to the end of my day envisioning a movie where Denzel Washington and Bruce Willis get into fisticuffs with the team of John Lithgow and Alan Rickman. Right. I mean, I have to imagine like there were plans for that to happen and, and maybe even cause in which, which one is it? Is it uh, with a vengeance that has Samuel L. Jackson in it? Um, Yes. Maybe there was a chance that that was originally going to be uh, uh, the what is the <laughs> it was originally supposed to be Nick. Uh, and then they were like, oh, man, we got to rewrite this because Die Hard 2 wasn't good. So let's let's do something different. Um, so instead of teaming him up with another black cop, they were like, let's we'll team you up with this black nerd. That's what happens in the third one, right? Um, I, sort of, yeah, kind of. And they fight They fight Jeremy Irons. And the other fun thing about Die Hard 3 is that for most of the movie, uh, all of the sequences with Jeremy Irons sort of feel like you were watching one movie and then changed the channel. And then you got this whole other thing. And then you changed channel back and it's John McClane again. Interesting. Um, I do think we... I think we were robbed of the timeline where Die Hard 3 was the crossover with, with Ricochet. I mean, I'd watch the shit out of it. You know what I'm saying? Just those two bouncing off each other. Because I have to assume, I have has Denzel Washington and Bruce Willis done a film together? Because I, I know that notoriously Bruce Willis is a hard guy to work with. Yes. Um, and I assume that Denzel Washington, he's so careful about his persona that I think that like he totally just either put Bruce Willis in his place or he would uh, he would handle it and be so diplomatic about it. But then you'd hear stories coming out where you're like, Denzel fucking punched uh, Bruce Willis in the face and we had to stop rolling for, for three weeks while his black eye healed or some shit. That's what I want. Um, I So I haven't seen it, but there is a movie that came out in 98 called The Siege which stars uh, Denzel, uh, Annette Bening, Tony Shalhoub, and Bruce Willis. I have not seen it, so I do not know if anything resembling the scenario you describe comes to pass, but they they did apparently do a movie together at one point. Okay. I wonder if I've seen this. Um, this The, the oh, title sounds familiar. I'm looking at the credits now. Uh, Apparently, uh, Lance Reddick is also in it as FBI agent Floyd Rose, which uh, honestly, like Lance Reddick being the great actor he is and that character name just being so beautifully on point. I'm actually very disappointed, knowing nothing really about the siege. I'm very disappointed that we didn't get a whole series of Lance Reddick as FBI agent Floyd Rose movies. I mean, you could effectively assume that every agent he plays is the same character like but he just gets different <laughs> um names as he like moves from city to city so fbi agent floyd rose was later promoted to be the character that he is in fringe who also took a little time to take a uh just a short couple episodes on lost um uh, but before all that before he got promoted into the fbi he was part of a small precinct in Baltimore. Yes, where he rose through the ranks, and that's eventually how he got tapped. And then finally, he decides to sort of retire from law enforcement, take what, what he perceives to be a slightly sleepier, sort of more uh, retirement-friendly job as the concierge at a, a hotel of some note. 
and then John Wick shows up and suddenly he's he's on one side or the other of a of an assassin war. Uh, but we don't know which side till John Wick four comes out. Oh, oh shit. No spoilers, though. <laughs> I haven't seen the second one or the third one. So, hey, keep those spoilers oh, to good. yourself. They're fine. I'm aware. Everyone keeps telling me that they're very good. Uh, everyone's like, oh, the man, third one John has Wick. Dogs. It's a revelation. I know. And there's a horse at some point. Look, I know. No spoilers. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yes, I like this. I like the um, I like the Lance Reddick cinematic universe that we're building. <laughs> well, yeah, he's the he's the um, Nick Fury of it all. Every so like he'll just pop in <laughs> and be like, "Ooh, Nick Styles, we need you for our new initiative. That's how he talks. In case you were wondering. It's like, it's like, um, it's like Rise of Skywalker where he's talking to the whole, he's talking to the briefing room and he's like, our worst fears have been realized. Somehow Stringer Bell returned and everybody's like, oh no. <laughs> I would also watch that. Um, I mean, you know. I would watch the shit out of that. If that was, I'm sorry, if that movie was available, I'd be like, no offense. I'd be like, why the fuck am I talking to you? I could go watch that. I'd be like, why are you talking to me? We could both be watching that right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, do you have any, uh, any last thoughts about this movie and anything? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Do you have any last thoughts about this movie? You know, somebody I do want to shout out. So there are um, a few scenes, um, and a lot of it is relatively uh, pretty early in the movie, where uh, we we have scenes with this sort of like uh, uh, this like sort of arm of a drug cartel, right? Like that eventually the Blake character sort of turns on and he, he kills them all and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but a couple actors in those scenes that I want to shout out, obviously um, Miguel Sandoval is one of the actors in those scenes and, and he's got a huge career, but I, I want to shout out in particular um, an actor who is in those scenes who, who I don't actually, I'm not even sure if he has, if he has dialogue, but um, physically, you know, his face, he's, he's prominently featured in these scenes um, is an actor by the name of Thomas Rosales jr. And I want to shout him out because he is an actor who, if you do not know his name, you almost certainly know his face. I want to say he started as a, a stunt man, in the 70s, but uh, since then has worked on so, so, so very many movies. And he's an actor who, uh, for years, I'd be watching stuff and he'd show up and I'd be like, oh my God, it's that guy. Uh, uh, what is that guy's name? And, and eventually, you know, I, I made it a point to look it up. Um, Thomas Rosales Jr., uh, like I said, started in the 70s, um, but has a huge, he has something like 170-something uh, film and television credits, including, I made a I made a partial list, and by the way, this is only a partial list. Uh, ready? Here we go. Co- combined film and TV credits. Ready? Uh, Nighthawks, Cagney and Lacey, TJ Hooker, Commando, Magnum P.I., Airwolf, The A-Team, The Running Man, MacGyver, RoboCop 2, Predator 2, Kindergarten Cop, Universal Soldier, Last Action Hero, The Crow, Beverly Hills Cop 3, Speed, Heat, a movie we talked about a couple a uh, couple of weeks ago, Last Man Standing. He shows up in that. L.A. Confidential, Face Off, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and... Super recently, and he's still working to this day. Uh, I think uh, Spencer Confidential, the Mark Wahlberg movie that just dropped on Netflix, he's in that as well. Um, so I wanted to uh, shout out this actor because, like his his body of work is is massive. You have definitely seen him. Um, if you if you Google Thomas Rosales Jr., you might see his face and go, "Oh yeah, oh my God, that actor." Um, and I, I feel like he's sort of uh, like this this great unsung fixture of of cinema over the course of the last couple of decades so i wanted to make sure that i i shouted him out because i feel like more people should be shouting out thomas rosales jr because he's got this massive career uh but but you know we don't all know his name and stuff so i i like the idea that that you know i can shout out that guy because i feel like a guy with a with a career that big that that sort of uh widespread over tv and film for several decades i feel like more people should know that dude's name um so shout out to Thomas Rosales Jr. Okay, nice. Um, while you were talking, <laughs> I remembered that um, I wanted to give. I was doing. I was doing other things. 
Yes. Uh, no, I, I remembered that I wanted to give a PSA that um, just a public service announcement, everyone. If you witness a videotape of a man in your house uh, threatening your daughters and you're also under suspicion of doing a bunch of negative things and that specific guy is believed to be dead and probably that videotape will videotape will uh you know alleviate all of these charges maybe grab the tape maybe grab the tape maybe like <laughs> grab it on your way out even if you're grabbing your gun and grab, grab the tape maybe do that what if you did that i don't know to to be fair to be fair you and I live in a post-Ricochet world where we can learn from the mistakes of Nick Styles, whereas Nick Styles was living Ricochet and therefore could not learn from his own mistakes in the moment. No, I would have been like, yo, <laughs> this is my freedom. Uh, and as a black man, he should know anything that's your freedom, you fucking grab. You you don't hesitate. You do it. You take it in hand. You you run down the street with the tape and your gun, even though you didn't need to run in your robe. If you had time to grab your gun, you had time to grab some pants. But whatever. Neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> gra grab the evidence. Grab the thing that's going to keep you from going behind bars. My dudes. Also, if someone shoots your best friend and throws a gun at you, do not catch that gun with your bare hands. Please don't do that. Please let the gun fall. Uh, that's a good. Yeah. Not, also, not for nothing. Spoilers. Um, I guess we're well past the spoiler yes. wall. Uh, Kevin Pollock's death in this movie just brought me so much happiness because it just felt like here's what people what people are talking about when they talk about sort of cornball cop movie stuff. Um, his sort of line where he's and it's and it's fine because like Kevin Pollock's a funny guy. Also, sidebar of a sidebar, I love that they let Kevin Pollock do a couple impressions in this movie. Like they let him do a Captain Kirk and they let him do um Peter Falk as Columbo. Yeah. And these are two impressions that like Kevin Pollock does. You know what I mean? So like I thought that was fun. But um his his sort of death where <laughs> John Lithgow has, has shot him from the fire escape and Denzel Washington is cradling him and he's just like, uh, I guess Blake was alive after all or how could he have killed me? And it's so good. It's so good. Like, uh, it's, uh, I got, I, in, in the least ironic way possible, I got such a fucking kick out of that. Yeah, I dug it too. Um, like, I feel like if I were to die, it would have to be something baller like that. Um, I I miss the old days before it was cliche to have like these cool like lines. I know that they're now seen as cheesy, but also the 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 line that uh, that Denzel Washington had after after um, uh, Talbot or Blake falls on the spike and he's like, I guess you get the point. And it's like, <laughs> fuck yeah. Kill that bitch. Yeah. Um, that's, I missed that. But also too, like you talk about that line and I had the same, the same moment where it's like, think about, think about like the corniest, cheesiest sort of James Bond one liner. And it's, it's that dialed up to 20, but I think it's proof positive, right? Like we talk about, uh, we talked about earlier how, um, this is, you know, Denzel had done a, a number of movies before this, um, you know, like glory was a big movie for him. And that was several movies before this for him, you know, and Malcolm X was next, but, um, it's so clear. I mean, from the very first scene in the movie, um, it's even before he starts to strip down and it's like, oh, oh, okay. It's like that. Uh, it's so clear that this dude is a movie star. You know what I mean? Like right. it's, it's so like. It's not a. It, you don't sit there going, I. It's so weird that his career went where it went. Like you, it, it's. It would watching his performance, even just in the opening scenes of this movie, it it would have been really weird if his career hadn't gone where it went because the dude is such a, a movie star and he's such an actor that you know when you get to that that moment at the end where he's got the cheesy. What is it like? It looks like you finally got the point, Blake, or whatever. Whatever it yeah. is. Um. You just go, you go, you know what? Yeah, Denzel, he did get the point. God damn it. You're right. And shit. And it's, it's, 
it works. It shouldn't work. You know what I mean? It shouldn't work. That line should be so cringy that it sort of breaks the last act of that movie. And yet he is such an actor and such a fucking movie star, even then, um, that it just it just works. Like somehow he is able to carry this story, which really in in the hands of a, of an actor just a hair less capable than Denzel Washington. I mean, the whole, I think the whole thing falls apart. I think it's just tonally such a, such a potential nightmare because it is so sort of standard cop drama, then so sort of light in certain places. And then so just aggressively committedly dark as fuck in other places. And he has to be the guy who sort of threads that needle. It all hinges on even more than on the script. It all hinges on his performance uh to make it work and to make it feel like all of these pieces are are part of one coherent whole and and so it's it's just such a testament to denzel as an actor even then even before he was denzel washington the way of course he is now uh it's such a testament to his capability as an actor that he's able to sort of thread that that needle because like i said if if you hired somebody to play that part who was just a hair less capable than Denzel Washington, I think the entire movie falls apart. Um, and I, I think it's so, like, I'm so glad I watched this because I'd seen, you know, like he made Glory before this and I'd seen him in Glory and he's amazing. Yeah. But, um, you know, this sort of coming out before Malcolm X, like this is one of the earliest leading man performances from Denzel that I've seen. And it's just so, like it's it, it th- this guy is sort of just genetically engineered it seems to be a movie star and it's not just that he's got that star power it's that he's actually an excellent actor like the foundation is that he's an excellent actor and then he's got that star quality on top of it and it makes the whole thing come together then of course Lithgow is a genius as well but uh yeah it's it's a testament to how how powerful that dude was even relatively that early in his career yeah i agree um i think I'm going to sign off uh, by uh, giving two lines that I think I would have substituted for his ending line. And if you have any, please share them with me. Um, but I think one after after the initial electrocution of Earl Talbert Blake, he would have been like, looks like the news is going to be pretty shocked. Uh, or after he <laughs> fell onto the needle he could have been like, I guess you're getting the needle this time, Blake. Uh, those are, I think, what I would have oh, gone shit. with. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, the second one being pretty dark. Yeah, I just would have been like, look, uh, Denzel, how about this? You have fun with it. Um, and I would let Denzel go and just improv for a few takes. And then I would have been like, all right, Denzel, we're probably not going to use this. But I just, just for me, can you, can you, can you give me one where you're just like, fuck your face my guy and that would be i'd tell him that i just want to hear him say it like it's just a goof and that's the one i put in the movie (laughs) (laughs) for some reason i thought you were gonna be like (laughs) i wanted a personal shout out from denzel washington so i'd be like just just this one like apropos of nothing like this is just part of the process but um as soon as he dies, yell out, Lex Michael is the best, and give a nice thumbs up. Yeah, 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 definitely do that one. <laughs> Be like, this will make sense in like 20 to 30 years. Uh, or, or just be like, here, ready? You just want to fundamentally break the reality of the movie in the last minute. So what you do is he hits the he hits the needle. And in that scene, obviously, like Styles is sort of hanging off of um, just sort of like an arm of this like tower that came yeah. down. Um, and, and he's sort of hanging while he says it, but what, (laughs) what I want, here's, here's what I tell Denzel, we're definitely not putting in the movie. And then I definitely put in the movie, uh, he he impales Blake on the needle and then he just lets go because presumably Denzel is standing on something just below frame. So he just lets go of the thing, but doesn't fall, starts applauding. And then he goes, guess you're the one with the clap now. (laughs) And I go, cool, cut, cut. It's <laughs> like cut. Like, okay, and Denzel's just like that was that was ridiculous. And I'm like, I know, man, I know. I just I wanted to loosen everybody up. There's no way that's going in the movie. And then the night of the premiere, uh, that's what's in there. And Denzel just sort of turns to his right, looks at me like I. Not only am I never working with you again, but you will never work, not just in this town, anywhere ever again. And I'll be like, worth it.
<laughs> I like to imagine that also in that moment, you're giving him like a tiny clap. And he's like, I see. I see. I understand. Kill this man. <laughs> Um, all right. So that, but then, but then, but then Denzel sees me giving the tiny clap in the theater and he goes, Oh, you know what? I get it now. (laughs) And I'm like, I know Mr. Washington. I know. Oh man. Um, okay. So everyone at home, uh, why don't you tweet us what your ending line would be? Uh, you can do so at missing outcast. That's M I S S I N G O U T C A S T. But you can also give Lex Michael the clap on social media here. Please don't give me the clap anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. But if, if you want to share uh, other things, <laughs> but, uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at the Lex Michael. Awesome. And if you'd like to give me a thumbs up or you'd like to send me into a gaslit downward <laughs> spiral, you can do so at Tari J T E R I J A Y. Um, and thank you again for joining us for this march into madness. <laughs> uh, we will be continuing this through the end of March with something next week. And then I think that's the end of March. I don't remember. I don't know how calcu- calendars work. Um, but thank you for joining us this week. Um, we hope that... Uh, you guys are doing well and taking care of yourselves and, and you know, quarantining where you need to. You're able to, uh, you know, t- uh, work from home whenever you can. Or you're rich and you're like, oh, man, work, what is that? In that case, send me some money. Um, but, yeah, and we will see you next week. Until then, this has been the retrospective that is introspective. And now you have a new perspective. And and also and also maybe the clap, depending on who you talk to and who was writing the script for this day in your life. Uh, uh, we love you, Stacey. Right, <laughs> and you got it consensually. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes. Uh, you didn't. You weren't. You weren't Nick Stiles. Uh, you you are culpable for your own decisions. <laughs> yeah, you were like. In fact, I want the clap. I need it. <laughs> <laughs>